Well, good morning, everybody. Give me a wave if you're all here, ready? To worship God. Yay! It's great to see you all this morning. Um, before, we, before we get into a service proper, I'm actually going to hand back to Nigel for a moment um, for an important announcement for the members of this church. Yes, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, it's just a, a reminder about our trial uh, special meeting tomorrow taking place at 7.30. A special Zoom session has been arranged and all members should have received an email with a Zoom link and some hopefully clear instructions on how to enter the meeting and how the uh, voting uh, process and registration process is going to take place. Uh, apologies that it may seem quite complicated um, I've tried to think of everything, um, but the, the purpose of the trial meeting is to try and establish whether it is uh, working and that we can try and get as many people online as possible. Um, those that aren't online, you will still be invited to the meeting and, and welcome to join us through your landline, through the dial-up. And again, there are instructions in the notes uh, that will help you do that. But um, you won't unfortunately be able to be involved in the online pro uh, voting. So um, please, if you could start turning up to the meeting from about 7.30, because myself and Paul will have to register you, register you against the members list uh, and also find out whether you're able to, to vote or not uh, using your device. Um, so we will put you into breakout rooms. When, you, when you're put into a breakout room, just simply press join and the rest of it should hopefully be clear from there. Um, that's it, I think. So um, look forward to seeing as many of you as possible tomorrow evening at 7.30. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Nigel. Let's come and worship our God this morning. Let's come and bring our praises before him. We, we serve an amazing God who can do more than we can ever ask or think. So as we come today, let's remind ourselves of the fact that we're here to praise and worship our God. As we come today, we remind ourselves of what we do. That these songs are not just songs, but signs of love for you. This is a holy moment now Something of heaven touches earth Voices of angels all resound We join their song Join them now. 
Let this be a holy moment now. Let this be a holy moment now. Let this be a holy moment Holy, holy, holy 
Lift up your voice in giving glory, for He is worthy to be praised, for He is worthy to be praised, for He is worthy to be Father God, we just want to come before you this morning. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to say that you are worthy of our praise this morning. You are worthy because you are holy. And Father God, we just come before you now with thankful hearts, knowing that uh, you are just so amazing. Lord, we want to pray for our country. Lord, we want to pray for the situations that we're in at the moment with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Lord, we've seen many scenes over this week where sometimes our heart just breaks when we see um, people gathering in such numbers and, and the worry that there might be um, a second wave. Lord, we just ask for your protection upon, um, upon this country, upon your people. Lord, we want to, to pray that you would just um, turn hearts to you at this time. Lord, we want to see people um, reflecting on 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 what's happening and lord may they just turn to you lord more people are praying and so lord we do pray that you would answer their prayers and father we just um, we just pray for wisdom for the government as they are releasing the lockdown um lord we just pray for wisdom in what is happening lord pray that you would just um bring about a real sense of of community through these times as well Father, would you just um, be present with us, we ask, in your holy name. Amen. I'm just going to take this, um, before we get Mark's thing, I'm just going to take this annotation, which seems to have gone on the screen. So I just want to clear that, because somehow it seemed to have drawn on the screen. So Mark's going to be bringing us his, um, uh, his, his talk, and uh, I'll just... Um, take away the annotation bit and mute myself and then we'll hear from Mark. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode in the life of Peter. Last week we looked at how Peter started following Jesus and that how as a result of his faith Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, meaning the rock. This week, we're going to continue the journey with Peter as he continues to follow Jesus. And we're also going to look at what happened in Peter's life after Jesus' ascension. While Jesus was on earth, he was continually teaching and guiding his followers. Jesus was preparing them to carry on his work after he had gone back to heaven. We saw last week how Peter watched Jesus performing all sorts of miracles. But Jesus didn't only want the disciples to watch his miracles. He wanted them to participate as well. He wanted them to perform miracles too. Peter, as normal, was the first to respond. But as mentioned last week, he did not always get it right. 
Jesus and the disciples fed 5,000 men and thousands of women and children with only five loaves and two fishes. Jesus prayed over the food, but the disciples actually handed it out. It was the disciples that actually fed all the people. And we all probably know the story of Jesus walking on the water. After feeding the 5,000, the disciples were sailing across Lake Galilee overnight. When a mighty storm blew up, Jesus, who had stayed behind, saw the disciples struggling in the midst of the storm. So he walked out on the water to meet them in the middle of the storm. When the disciples saw him, they were terrified and they thought they must have been seeing a ghost because men can't walk on water, can they? But Peter, recognizing this was another of Jesus' miracles, wanted to be a part of it. He said to Jesus, tell me to come and walk on the water. So Jesus did. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus. All was going well until Peter took his eyes off Jesus and was distracted by the wind and the waves, the mighty storm that was still raging. He began to sink, but Jesus stretched out his hand and saved him. Peter was learning to trust Jesus, but just like us, so often he got distracted and lost sight of Jesus. Jesus told Peter that he needed more faith. And we could all do with that, couldn't we? But at least Peter had a go. You see, God loves to work with us in his mission to save the world. He knows that we won't always get it right. And he knows that it won't always be easy. As we'll see in a moment, as we continue to look at the life of Peter. But Jesus will always be there to rescue us and to support us through the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, when we were looking at Pentecost, we saw how much Peter's faith had grown and how he was given power and boldness through the Holy Spirit to speak out to the people and how 3,000 of them were saved in one day. After Pentecost, Peter continued to preach the gospel. He really wanted everyone to hear about Jesus and to believe in him. And just like Jesus, Peter started performing amazing miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. One day, as Peter was going to pray at the temple, a lame beggar asked him for some money. Peter told the beggar that he didn't have any money, but what he did have was much better than all the one money in the world. What he had to offer was eternal life through belief in Jesus. And to prove it, Peter healed the beggar, who immediately got up, gave Peter a hug and started praising God. Everyone who was watching was totally amazed, and the news spread like wildfire. But the religious leaders were not happy. 
They thought they'd put an end to this group when they crucified its leader, Jesus. But Peter was now telling everyone that Jesus was alive and that he was God. And Peter was performing miracles just like Jesus did. This went against all the teaching of the Jewish leaders. And so they arrested Peter and put him in prison overnight. The next day, they told him to stop preaching and doing miracles. But Peter said, I just can't shut up about all that I've seen and heard. And that if I'm being arrested for an act of kindness and showing God's love, then so be it. Peter was driven to do good because of his faith in Jesus. Jesus said the most important commandments were to love God and to love your neighbor. And that's everyone in the world. To obey these commands and demonstrate God's love was the most important thing for Peter. It was so much more important than any of the consequences that might happen to him. Now, I wonder, can we say the same? Thank you. Thank you, Mark. That was brilliant, as always. So we're about to have our reading in a moment, but from 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. So it's going to come up on the screen. Um, even though you're unmuted, as I'm reading it, read it out. It's good for us to speak out scripture. So let's, um, let's just have the reading. It's from 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled, hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls let's just pray for martin as he comes to speak to us now martin will appear in a, a very small box on your screen because we've got notes um, to show as well for the, the sermon so father god we just pray right now that you would just bless martin as he comes to speak to us reveal your word to us in power this morning lord we thank you that you you are a god who wants to speak to us you're a god who wants to move in our lives and so we pray father just pour out your holy spirit now as we hear your word in jesus name amen thank you very much steve for leading us so competently as always um, in worship it's great and for mark for that wonderful uh, all-age talk again which sets me up again uh, nicely this morning um, imagine uh, walking into a rather run-down factory and discovering an unexpected original painting, uh, The Water Lily Pond by Claude Monet, hanging on the wall of the factory. To the left of the Monet picture is a rather bland poster um, about forklift trucks, truck safety, and to the right of the picture is a rather drab uh, poster from the health and safety executive. You would wonder, what on earth is uh, that picture? Monet picture, that original, doing on the wall. You wouldn't be surprised to see the forklift truck or the health and safety poster, but you would certainly be surprised to see um, the Monet hanging there. It, it would look out of place and rather overly beautiful compared to the other two posters. And that's the effect that Peter has in placing this rather beautiful passage about the sufferings of Christ where he does. You see, the centerpiece of this section is verses 21 to 25, the sufferings of Christ as an example to us. It's like it hangs in the center as a beautiful picture next to some very kind of messy, ordinary, mundane teaching about submission to authorities and employers on the left, and then to the right, some teachings in chapter three on instructions to Christian wives and husbands. So what Peter is doing here is right in the middle of the everyday trenches of our lives. All the mundane, routine, messiness of life hangs this beautiful picture of Jesus and his sufferings. And that is deliberate because Peter wants us to see that in the middle of life's mundane routines, ordinariness, messiness, heartache, suffering and joys, Jesus is at the center and we're to keep our eyes not on the forklift truck poster or on the health and safety executive poster. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But our eyes should be drawn to Jesus right at the center. He is our vision. He is our hope. He is our glory. He is the one who we want our eyes to be drawn to, but right in the middle of the stuff of life. So I want to look today at keeping our eyes on Jesus to give us confidence to live in the messy, ordinary, sometimes uh, unjust nature of the world in which we live. Because living in this world is full of joys, there's lots of pleasures, lots of good things, but we do sometimes as Christians suffer unjustly, unfairly. And how do we live well how do we live in such a way 
that we display the beautiful portrait of Jesus in and through our lives in the midst of the everyday realities of life. And that's what we're going to look at today. So first of all, we are to live like aliens, aliens and strangers in the world. Peter says in verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. So Peter says, you as Christians are out of place in the world. You are aliens and strangers. Now, just as a Monet picture of the lily pond would look completely out of place on a factory wall, we as Christians are to stand out as aliens and strangers, as a beautiful portrait hanging of Jesus in the midst of the everyday routines and realities of life. That's why I chose a factory. I, I don't even get more kind of mundane and everyday than that. And Jesus wants you and me to be beautiful portraits of him in the midst of everyday life and to, and to stand out, to stand out as beautiful and holy in our workplaces, our homes, our community, amongst our neighbours. He wants us to be a beautiful portrait of Jesus everywhere we go. And we do this by abstaining from sinful desires, which wage war against our souls. Um, sometimes people say to me, um, when they've just become a Christian, they sometimes say, how is it that I'm now a Christian and I and I'm, seem to be more tempted by sin than I was before I was a Christian? Have you noticed that? That um, it's because we're in a battle. It's because as Christians, when we cross the line and we invite Jesus into our hearts and lives, the sinful desires are still there, but they've been, the power of them has been broken in us, but they're still there. It's like there's a guerrilla army of sin still waging war on us. So even though we've taken the castle and Jesus is in charge of the castle, it's like there are guerrilla, there's a guerrilla army still trying to break in and break down the walls. And that's what it's like. The war is won, um, but the battles continue. We, we have to wage war against the sinful desires. So what are those things? Uh, envy, slander, pride, rivalry, greed, lust, and so forth. So those things will still tempt us into sin. And we have to do battle against them, wage war against them. And we do that by dying to them, by prayer, confession, reading God's word, and through repentance, turning away from sin, confessing it, getting forgiven, and committing ourselves through prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit to living in obedience to Christ's teaching. But we also display the holiness and beauty of Christ by living good lives. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now this is hard. Um, just let that verse sink in for a moment and see what it's saying. This is not easy, is it? This is not easy. Let's just not race past this. In other words, we are to live good lives as Christians, even when we are overlooked for a promotion, even when we are insulted and slandered and misunderstood for our faith. Now, that can happen in the workplace or in the family. If we're the only Christian there, we can sometimes feel isolated, misunderstood and all the rest of it. And in the workplace, sometimes we may not be in with the in crowd, in with the influencers, precisely because of our faith. 
And what Peter is saying here is even when you are insulted or misunderstood as a Christian, you are to do good. You are to bless others through good deeds. You are to pray for people even when they insult you. Now that's hard, but it's the teaching of scripture. And the reason Peter says is that Christ is honored, yes, but even more, some people might even become Christians on the back of your character and good witness that way. Um, I'm not going to give away any names, but I know of one of our, because he told me, <laughs> one of our Christian men in the church was converted to Jesus Christ because of the Christ-like character of his wife. Not so much through what she said, but just because she was kind and thoughtful and that drew him to Jesus in and through her character. And that's the effect that sometimes, not, not, not every time, but sometimes God can use our blessing of people, even when they insult us, to draw them to Jesus because they see the beauty of Christ through us. So to sum up this section, Peter is telling us that we are to live in an increasingly hostile society by avoiding sinful desires and maintaining Christ-centered character and conduct. And then in this way, God will sometimes visit unbelievers with power and cause them to make a journey towards Jesus. And Peter then goes on to give two everyday examples of how we as Christians should live holy lives in a secular world. First, we're to submit to governing authorities. None of this is easy, folks, so stay with me. Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I don't know if you've noticed, but not everybody is uh, jumping up and down with enthusiasm about the way that the government has handled the corona crisis. Or am I missing something? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, we don't always like what the government are doing, do we? Let's be honest. Even if you voted or didn't vote for the current government, government this is where the rubber hits the road. Peter is saying... Whether you like the government or not, whether you voted for them or not, whether they're getting everything right or not, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Now, this ain't easy, is it? Right? Can you feel the, the punch of this? Um, now, every authority would include parents, uh, business leaders, school leaders, church leaders, police, the judicial system, everything. Um, Peter says that our default stance as Christians should be one of obedience to these human authorities because God has put them in the place that they are to maintain law and order and to provide conditions in which human beings can flourish. In other words, to provide laws which allow for freedom of expression, freedom of conscience. That's why governments are there. But notice that Peter qualifies this in a couple of ways. Although human authorities have a role to keep law and order and to ensure justice and to ensure um, freedom of expression, God has the ultimate authority. So um, Peter tells Christians in verse 16, live as servants of God. Do you see that? He doesn't say live as servants of the king or the emperor. He says live as servants of God. 
and he says, fear God, honor the king. So although we're to respect the king, the government, the queen, we're to fear God. There's an order here. Do you see it? But one of the ways that we honor the king or the queen or the government is by, sorry, one of the ways we fear God is by honoring the government, by submitting to the government. Um, because the government has been ordained by God for the good of society. Now, I, can, I, I hear you thus protest. <laughs> Having said all of that, there are clear exceptions to submitting to human authorities. Um, Mark's talk helpfully brought out that Peter and John did not submit, in one case, to the human authorities. Did you notice that? And they end up in jail for it. They get a warning not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. So there they have been healing the crippled man and telling everybody it's not through our power, it's by the power of the risen Christ and in his name that we've healed this guy. And they end up in jail. Um, wow. And then when they're released and they stand before the Jewish religious authorities, the re religious authorities say, stop preaching about Jesus. And what does Peter say? Does he say, okay, I, I don't want to be back in jail? No, he doesn't say that. Verse 19, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Do you hear that? The principle to draw here, according to the commentator Wayne Grudem, is this. Obey except when commanded to sin. Obey except when commanded to sin. So if the government made it illegal to teach scripture and call people to faith in Jesus, we would be right to disobey. Do you agree? Oh, a little bit, of, little bit of a nod there. This is why the persecuted church around the world has, in many places, has had to go underground and meet in secret. So in general, the rule is, as Christians, the default position is to submit and obey human authorities. But if they cause us to sin, there is an exception. Now, what about if we don't agree with government policy? Um, well, we can, we can actively lobby our local MP by giving our Christian viewpoint, by writing in. And I know many of you do that. You write to your local MP. Or an even more effective way, I think, is to lobby through Christian groups like Christian Concern for Our Nation or the Christian Institute or Care for the Family. Um, a recent example of all this, you may be aware of this, but it's worth restating. The case of Franklin Graham, um, Billy Graham's son, who was stopped from preaching in a number of British cities recently on the grounds that his Christian, traditional Christian viewpoints about gender identity and marriage were offensive to certain groups in society. And so local councils, including Birmingham, Newcastle and others, um, stopped him preaching because they, they, they felt that it would be offensive to certain groups. Now, the um, legislation in our nation allows for freedom of expression of religious views. It doesn't allow for hate preaching, but of course, Franklin Graham has never been known for preaching hate, um, just simply for making the gospel known. And so 
he just before lockdown he was contesting this through the courts and rightly so um and we need to defend these laws because there are laws in our land which allow for freedom of expression and we need to defend these laws and stand up for these things it is not just um a case of rolling over um where we're where we end up having to sin and to accept a position that's not in line with the law, like, as that is, we should stand up for justice. Um, anyway, end of lecture. Moving on. Second, Christians are to obey, obey their employers. Verse 18. Slaves, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those um, who are harsh. Now, I appreciate this is uh, a highly uh, emotive term, slavery. So I'm going to tread really, really carefully here. Okay. Now I'm using the term employee, employees and employers because that's about as close as we can get to what first century slavery was about. But there are differences. Um, but slavery in our culture is a highly offensive concept and rightly so. Um, in Britain, slaves were kidnapped and then bought and sold as personal property. Slaves were not only mistreated, many were abused and even killed. I don't agree with the vandalism in Bristol that led to Colston's statue being torn down and thrown in the, in the estuary, but I do agree with, with these public monuments being removed that are glorifying slave traders and the slave trade. We, to me, this is abhorrent and I have, I have sympathy for protests against uh, these monuments of violence and abuse in the slave trade. And sadly, racism and inequality toward people of black and minor minority ethnic background is still a reality today in our nation. And it can be argued that we still have a form of slavery through the oppression and unequal opportunities that we give to black and ethnic people in the workplace in our society. With all that said though, the first century Christian slaves that Peter was writing to lived in a different context. Although slaves in the first century were sometimes beaten and treated brutally, many of them were generally well treated and included managers, doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, craftsmen, and there was extensive Roman legislation which protected their rights. They were normally paid for their services and they could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. However, with all that said, their service was still involuntary. They were still under the command of a master. Um, their legal status, social standing, and opportunity for economic independence was clear, clearly lower than others in Roman society. So a word stronger than servant, but weaker than slave is needed. It's hard to find one in English. Something meaning, excuse the mouthful here, semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. That's a catchy title, isn't it? Semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. Now, you might say, oh, zero hours contract. Yeah, something like that. Or some of these um, people that have very little rights, um, fruit picking, poor accommodation, paid a pittance, and very little uh, legal rights, something like that. So there are examples that come close to that in our culture. Now, slavery has not, never been desirable. The Bible does not support slavery. Peter here is not writing a treatise to bring slavery to an end. He's working within a corrupt and unjust system 
he's teaching Christian slaves how to be faithful witnesses of Christ in the context that they're in. We would have to wait centuries later before people like Wilberforce finally um, pr pressured government into bringing an end to slavery. But the trajectory of scripture is away from the oppression and injustice of slavery towards freedom. And thank God that uh, Wilberforce blazed the trail for us in ending slavery. So there is no exact parallel in a, a semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom in our culture. Um, so with caution, with caution, would you allow me to apply uh, the principles of Peter's teaching here to Christian employees and employers? Peter says that employees are to submit to their bosses with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, again, the union people among you, I hear protesting already. What about, yeah, I hear you, okay? Hang on, bear with me. This gets complicated in application for us as Christians. We have worker rights and unions to protect us from unjust treatment in the workplace, and rightly so. And there are times when it's right for us to stand up as Christians and for the good of the company, and for the rights of ourselves and others in the workplace, particularly where there's discrimination and abuse. There may be even cases where we have a legal duty to report abuse, particularly racial abuse or sexual abuse or abuse relating to disability. This is for the good, not just of ourselves, but for others in the organization in general. However, if as Christians we suffer insults in the workplace because our faith puts us outside the circle of trust, or we're not one of the in crowd, or our faith means that we're viewed a little bit differently, a little as slightly strange and quirky, then Peter says that we should endure unjust suffering and work for the good of others. We are to do good, verse 19, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. In other words, if we're known as people of integrity, people of hard work, conscientiousness, good character, if we're trustworthy, even though people might mock us or insult us as slightly quirky and odd and strange because of our Christian values, it is commendable to God if we suffer for doing good nonetheless. What is not commendable in God's eyes is if we suffer warnings and sanctions in the workplace because our, our quality of work is poor, we're, we're late to work, or our character sort of is aggressive or un uncooperative, if we're not gentle, if we're angry, you know, if gossips, whatever it is, if that will not bring glory to God. In fact, we will dishonor Christ through our witness. So the overall message here is this, God rewards faithfulness in Christians. It's commendable to God and to us. Not because our faithfulness earns God's reward. Who could earn God's reward? But in his grace, God delights to be generous to those, to bless those who live to please him. He gives an unexpected reward to Christians who do good, even in the face of unjust suffering, whether that be in the workplace, our community or our family. Now, you may suffer unjustly in your family. You may be misunderstood. You may feel isolated. And that can be the case in voluntary work in the community as well. 
there may or may not be a reward in this life for living as a Christian faithfully. There may be, but there's no guarantee of a great reward in the workplace through conscientious hard work as a Christian, but there might be. What there is the guarantee of reward is treasure in heaven and a joy in following Christ through unjust suffering in this life. God will give us a sense of well done, good and faithful servant in this life and promise us treasure in heaven in the next as we live faithfully for him. Finally, to sum up, we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. To live confidently in the world is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. We carry on. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So there, folks, is the Monet picture hanging on the factory wall. In the midst of your life and my life, there is the beautiful picture and portrait of Jesus that inspires us, envisions us, keeps us going. That's the portrait of Jesus that we are to fix our eyes on, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross for us. So when life, when you're in the trenches of life, when you're experiencing unjust suffering, ridicule, when you feel isolated, alone, misunderstood as a Christian, fix your eyes on this beautiful picture portrait of Jesus hanging in the middle of your life, in the everyday routines and trenches of your life. This will inspire you, envision you, equip you and empower you. Jesus is our example to follow. As Jesus suffered, so we, as we follow in his footsteps, will also suffer. Not as dramatically, I'm sure, but we will suffer unjustly. And that is commendable to God because God commended his son for his suffering for us. However, we cannot and will never be able to suffer and should not suffer as Jesus did for one particular reason. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, there is an aspect of Christ's suffering that we are not called to follow in. We could never bear the sin of the world. You and I are not the son of God. We are not perfect and holy. We cannot bear away human sin by dying for it and paying the price, the penalty of sin, which is death. Only the Son of God, the perfect sinless Son of God, could absorb God's punishment on our sin and absorb unjust suffering in our place to deal with our sin. So he is the one who heals us because he restores us to God. He forgives us and reconciles us to God by bearing our sin in our place for us. But Jesus doesn't just bear the penalty of sin. He breaks the power of sin and death in our lives too, so that we can die to sins and live for righteousness. Do you, know, do you see that in the, in the text? That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's really important. Jesus didn't just die so that we could be forgiven and then wait for heaven like in a waiting room for 70 years. He died 
to set us free from the power of sin that we might live for righteousness. In other words, that we might be able to obey and live holy lives righteousness in righteousness. God has given us the power through the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us to live righteously even in the face of suffering through this life. Jesus' death and resurrection sets us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin so that we can go on and grow to be more and more like Christ and follow in his footsteps and shine the beauty of his portrait into the everyday mundane suffering trenches of our everyday lives. And Peter finishes by talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. Wherever we suffer unjustly, we look to the cross and we see that Jesus died, the good shepherd died for us to restore us to God. We're like wandering sheep, says Peter. We wander off on our own path, on our own way. We get lost. We get alienated. But Jesus, the good shepherd, knows each of us by name. He loves us and he knows us by name. And he promises to care for us, protect us, guide us, oversee us, restore us and lead us right to the end of our lives. Because he is the good shepherd who loves us even when we go astray and wander. Knowing Jesus, the good shepherd, loves us, leads us, guides us, knows us, protects us, gives us confidence to live beautiful and holy lives in the midst of, it, of the everyday realities of this life. So don't forget that picture of Monet hanging on the wall. That's what God wants for you. He wants you and me to live confidently in a secular, hostile world, being a beautiful portrait of Jesus hanging there in the midst and the darkness of this world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the beauty of this portrait, that you, the eternal Son of God, the sinless one, took on our sin, that you have healed us and restored us and forgiven us, and you've broken the power of sin and death in our lives so that we can live holy lives, lives committed to you, lives submitted to you, holy, beautiful lives that draw people to Jesus in and through our character, our words, and our good deeds. So I pray, Holy Spirit, for each of us here this morning, that you would pour out your power and your love into our hearts and lives, that we would be beautiful portraits of Jesus, hanging in the midst of our families, our community, our workplaces, for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Um, just, just having that idea and that picture of, of Jesus like that, that's amazing and uh, a wonderful way for us to, to move forward. Um, we're going to finish with a couple of songs. It's, it's amazing how, how God works um, week by week. Um, our home group, um, we, we have a, a WhatsApp group and, and quite regularly we will share um, the Lord's Prayer. And we all, somebody will start it off and then somebody brings in the next line and the next line. This week, it was shared with Psalm 23. Um, and it was just so, so apt because the next song is Psalm 23. So let's, let's sing together.
not my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul, and I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you, and I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you for your endless mercy. Follows me, your goodness will lead me home. He guides my ways in righteousness, and he anoints my head with oil, and my cup it overflows with joy. I feast on his pure delights, and I will trust in trust, I will trust in you, and I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you for your endless mercy follows me, your goodness will lead me home. Though I walk the darkest path, I will not fear the evil one. For you are with me, and your rod and staff are the comfort I need to know. And I will trust in trust. I will trust in you. And I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. And I will trust. I will trust. I will. Trust in you, and I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. Your goodness will lead me.
us pain Entered our world, your glory veiled Not to be served, but to serve And give your life that we might live This is our God, the servant king He calls us now to follow him To bring our lives as a daily offering Of worship to the servant king not my will but yours he said this is our God the servant king he calls us now to follow him to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king see his hands and his feet the scars that speak of sacrifice hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered this is our God the servant king he calls us now to follow him to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king so let us learn how to serve needs to prefer for it is Christ we're serving this is our God the servant king he calls us now to follow him to bring our lives as a daily offering Worship to the servant king. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you before his presence with singing be honour and glory both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>